Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Gentleman's Journal podcast brought to you by Martel Cognac. This episode is slightly different to our usual format. We launched the November-December issue of our lovely magazine a couple of weeks ago and some of the stories inside are so interesting that we thought they might be worth discussing on this podcast too. So I sat down with Johnny Wells, our features writer, and Harry Jarman, the editor-in-chief of Gentleman's Journal, and we spoke about everything from Cristal Champagne to our interviews with Sir Richard Branson, Sir Paul Smith and Ralph Lauren, not to mention a luxury watch special section and our incredible cover story with Mr Hugh Jackman. If you're interested in the luxury market at the moment, the advice of great, great men, or just how a magazine like this is put together, it's a pretty interesting listen. Harry, Johnny, thank you very much for joining us on a slightly unusual episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Usually we kind of look outwards at other businesses, but today we thought it might be fun to turn the gaze on ourselves and discuss our latest issue, the final issue of 2018, our November-December issue, which has the wonderful Hugh Jackman on the cover, who, Johnny, you flew out to meet in New York. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time that I met Hugh Jackman, I met him in a hotel in Tribeca, and he was sort of running down a corridor. And um, <laughs> I met him there, but I also went to his coffee shop in New York. He's got two coffee shops he owns in New York. And I think that must be where he gets this sort of unbelievable like energy from, because right. he is... For a man who has just turned 50, he has more energy than, than me, and I'm, I'm half his age. So I, I think, yeah, Hugh Jackman was a, was a really good choice, I think, for this issue as well, because he's, he is a polymath, and he can sort of do anything. In, I mean, the, the first sentence of the interview is, Hugh Jackman can do anything, and as, it, as is the last sentence. And just everything that he does it seems, to, seems to turn to gold, and, and he's exactly the sort of person I think we should be sort of talking to. He seems like one of these people who is annoyingly nice, if you see what I mean. He's always pleasant, he's very popular. Was he really nice in person or was he did he have a dark side? He he didn't have a dark side That's at all. Shame. I mean it's it's strange, isn't it, when you sometimes meet these people who have a very sort of public persona and you expect them to maybe be a little bit different to how you see them on talk shows and things, but exactly the same when they're sort of the dictaphones on, the dictaphones off, the cameras on him, the cameras off him, he's Exactly the same, makes sure he introduces himself to everybody on the team, everybody in the room. And, yeah, he's just a thoroughly nice man and, as you say, annoyingly sort of capable. What was the most surprising thing about meeting him, do you think? I think probably the strangest thing about meeting him was his, his view of this new film that he's, that he's in called The Front Runner, which is um, Sony Pictures' release and I think it's Oscar-tipped and things. And he plays a real-life senator from 1988 who kind of gets done over a bit in a, in a way by the media and it's the first time that sort of tabloid press comes out and shows people that not everybody's squeaky clean and your secrets are laid bare but he didn't really seem to have he didn't seem to agree with with much of this and he said that social media and things and being very open he's very comfortable with and that that surprised me for someone of sort of such stature does he have ambitions do you think to be political himself he's very popular in australia obviously he's incredibly popular yeah i i, I spoke to him a lot about Trump, obviously, and um, the film was uh, scheduled to come out uh, yesterday, November the 6th, to, um, to sort of really sort of chart, to get into that politically charged atmosphere, but he said that he just doesn't think he could handle it. He said there's, it's a completely different level of scrutiny being a Hollywood actor to being a politician, and it's just one that he couldn't, couldn't hack. Was he, is he one of your heroes, Hugh Jackman? I tell you what, he, he, he told me about skills that I didn't know he had. He's a trained stunt driver, and he can throw axes, and, but he's also sort of 
very practiced at Tai Chi and things. It really runs the gamut, everything that you can do. Well, I want to know more about the coffee shops. So he's got two coffee shops. So yeah, it was back in um, 2013, I think, he, he started a company called Laughing Man Coffee, which uh, he went out to, to Africa and he met like some communities and he, he started these coffee shops and gives all the proceeds to, to charity. And um, you very can buy cool. the beans online and you can, um, you can go into these these two actual physical shops in New York. Isn't the flat white an Australian coffee? The flat white is an Australian coffee, and we were talking about it, and he seemed very altruistic, but then he, <laughs> he did admit that the reason that he had set up these two coffee shops was because New York couldn't do a decent flat white, so he had to, he had to sort of start it up himself. So he said it was very selfish of him, but it's, it's, it's a good cause, really. And there's a, there's a great anecdote in here about when he meets um, David Bowie. As a child, I think, and completely fluffs it, which is quite encouraging in a way. No, it was well. It was actually when he filmed um, the Prestige, the oh, Christopher course, yeah. Nolan film, yeah, where um, David Bowie played Tesla in it, and he he said that he he met him and he talked about when when he was a boy he had tickets to go and see David Bowie at the sort of Sydney Cricket Ground or, or somewhere, and he ended up selling his ticket for fifty dollars in the playground the day of the um, no. the day of the concert and. He told David Bowie this the first time he met him. He said, oh, I, I had a ticket to see you, but I sold it because someone offered me 50 bucks for it. And um, he just said as he was saying that to David Bowie, he couldn't believe what he was, what he was saying. And David Bowie just sort of went, yep, and walked off at the end oh of the God. conversation. He thought, yeah. I've messed it up, messed it up there. God. And Harry, of course, one of your heroes in this issue, uh, we finally got in our pages, which is Richard Branson, who's someone we're all in great admiration of at the Gentleman's Journal. But has he been someone you've looked to over the last couple of years when you've been kind of working on this business? Well, he's, he's always been that sort of, you know, you've, everyone's sort of grown up with him a little bit. And um, he's sort of, I would say he's probably Britain's most famous entrepreneur. Would you agree? I think so, yeah. I mean, he, everything he does is kind of quite overt and out there, whether it's a vodka brand or a, a round-the-world trip. No, it's true. I think the, 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 the cool thing about this interview is you just realise how, I mean, he's, he's, he's getting quite old now, and, and, and he's still going absolutely crazy, and he, you know, he's never, never, never stopping. Um, and I think, you know, also this year he's had a lot of stick in the press mm. with Virgin Galactic, and, and, you know, I don't know, how, how many years is it delayed now? Or something yeah, it was, there, it was meant to launch at the end of 2014. Yeah, so quite a long so time. So now gone four and a half but years. But I, I think quite, un, un, you know, I think the press have been quite harsh on it because mm. it's, you know, and it's and a bit like Elon Musk as well. It's such a, you know, it's not like starting up a new business, you know, on planet Earth. It literally is just a whole a whole another level. And, um, you know, and it, it sounds like, but, you know, I don't think everyone's counting their chickens yet. It sounds like it is about to, it's about to happen next year. Well, that's what um, he says. The quote is, we're tantalisingly close to realising our, our ambition. But is that just the Branson self-promotion? Is that the famous kind of puff well, he, talk? He's a marketing machine, there's no doubt about that. And, I mean, he has put his name on, on absolutely everything. Um, but I think you've got to keep, you know, you've got to, as, as an entrepreneur, you've got to keep that going. One for probably the investors as well, and all the guys who bought the the um, the first tickets into space. You know they've been waiting since 2014 as well. But um, you know I think good on him, and I think it's just showing that he's he doesn't he has uh, sort of no view in slowing down at all. Do you think it's important that he beats Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos in this kind of new space race? I I I think they probably personally care. I would say I don't know. I think they're more excited about getting into space, you know, and it's the same thing with, you know, Elon Musk with his electric cars, you know, there's, 
everyone's catching up with him now in terms of all the German brands and everything else. But you know, they were the people that actually made people. You know, take, otherwise we would have been ten years behind already yeah. if it wasn't for these things. So I reckon all three of them. I think, um, yeah, they just want to make it happen. And one of the interesting things that that Branson talks about in that interview is how important socialising, especially on Necker Island, has been to his kind of success, and that fun is the most important part almost of, of having a business. Do you think that's that's true, Harry? What do you think? Um, it might be a bit of Branson's <laughs> spin on it. Uh, I, he always famously says, ha- have fun, money will come, right. which is his saying. I think that's, yeah, of course, that is, I think what you're meant to be saying is you've got you've to gotta do it because you're passionate about it and not just do it for the money. Um, because if you are just doing it for the money, it's, you know, especially in a creative business, it is likely to you know, not, not happen. But yeah, I mean, a bit of tongue in cheek with that. Really. Okay. Yeah, it's, he's, um, as you say, a marketer, a, a genius at, at self-promotion. Uh, do you think it's, it's kind of un-British maybe to, to puff ourselves up like he does? He seems different to almost any other British entrepreneur in that way. Yeah, I mean, self-promotion is very much an American thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, your previous podcast guest, Vernon Hill, yeah. is famously um, criticises the British for being a bit reserved. Um, you know, we're talked about, you know, we're sort of brought up never to talk about money from an early age and all these things that make it um, uncharacteristically unentrepreneurial. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, you have to, you know, I think with him, he, he is his business. It's people buy into, you know, people buy into that version brand because it's it's Richard Branson. So, you know, he is, he's so important to every yeah. single one of those businesses. You say he's getting on a bit. Do you think if he retires that the whole thing will, um, will, will fall about or not? Uh, I no, I don't think so. I mean, I, he's got an amazing management team in there. Um, I think I can't. I don't know how many version companies now there. Are. I think it's over fifty, yeah. or something crazy like that. Um, I, there's probably some that aren't making money, and there's probably some that are doing extremely well. Um, but no, I think once they've got to that sort of scale, you you would hope they have a couple yeah. of good good I'm people. Sure, they do. And another great British export, look at this for a segue, is uh, Rolls-Royce, of course. And Johnny, you were lucky to go to, was it Wyoming? It was. Yeah, with yeah. the new Cullinan, which is one hell of a car. True, yeah. So b- back in March, I went down to Goodwood, um, saw the Rolls-Royce factory to, to see the, the, the launch, the, un- the unveiling of, of the Cullinan. And um, everybody in sort of motoring journalism was there to see the car unveiled. And, and then, obviously, yeah, sort of, what was it, six months later, we were all... Uh, sort of invited in in sort of staggered trips out to out to Wyoming to actually get behind the wheel and and it is a it's a, it's a very it's a very strange car in terms of what it can do in you sit in it and it and it's a Rolls Royce and then you start moving and you're just on the road and it, it feels very normal it feels like the usual sort of luxury sort of like Rolls Royce experience and then you hit gravel tracks and streams and sort of rocky off road paths and. And it's still very smooth, and it's gliding along. It's got this, or what they call the, the magic carpet sort mm. of ride to it. And um, yeah, they took us on some pretty sort of hairy paths, uh, sort of like real like precipitous climbs up up these mountains in Wyoming. And we were doing three point turns to get around sort of hairpins with right. sheer drops. And uh, but the the car obviously, I mean, it, it dealt with it commendably. I mean, were you not worried about scratching it? That's yeah, incredibly worried. That'd be my big worry. Yeah, so I I, I mean. You obviously you have to sign things before you get into the car and and things like that. But once you um, once you hear some stories about people who have got behind the the wheels of Rolls Royces before and test test driven them, and you hear this from the people who work there, they say, "I think I think you'll be fine. Just don't sort of don't put your foot straight down when you're going sort of down a mountain, and and everything will right. everything will be all right." 
So what's the what's the price? What's the price? Of, what's the starting price? Of? So it's a uh, it's a quarter of a million pounds so it's, starting it's, price. So it's it's um, starting price. That's before you put what leather seats in. And so stuff you can like you can customize. It has got a really good <laughs> level of customization I actually. Some of the things that you can sort of like these modules and units like like seats and benches, things that you can put into the into the boot, and you can obviously customize all the different woods and the the leathers. So I mean it's a. Uh, I mean, it is, to all intents and purposes, it's a Rolls-Royce. Mm, yeah. It just happens to be able to do anything, really. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, the, the, the tagline they had for it was effortless everywhere, which raised a few eyebrows before we got in it, but you could go sort of racing over really quite rough terrain, and it, it, would, it was effortless. Yeah. Wow. And what's Jackson Hole like on a side? No, that's where you were. Jackson Hole is a fascinating place. I mean, I could have written... A feature on Jackson Hall alone. It's, it's one of the. Um, there, there's a huge sort of, a huge sort of pool of wealth there, and loads of really sort of rich people go there, and flock there, and just have ranches and things. I think Kanye West, like yeah. he recorded his last album there, and it's just sort of out in the middle of nowhere. It's got its own sort of airport. It just looks like a little sort of provincial airport, but it's just got like tens of private jets down wow. the side of it. And there are these fantastic cars driving around, so much so that we had a, a fleet of maybe 10 Cullinans and nobody batted an eyelid as Really? Dogs. No as one? We were, as we were, <laughs> 10? As we were driving around, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> there was, um, there's just so many sort of supercars and just so much wealth there, but then it's, but then it's just nature and it's just very natural and it's... A very strange juxtaposition. Do you, do you, just quick question. I'm probably going to throw one here. Do you, do you know what the, the name of the car actually means? Does yeah, it? so yeah. the um, it's named after the biggest diamond, the biggest sort of single chunk diamond ever great. ever cut, which was the, the Cullinan, which I think now has been broken up into about seven pieces, a couple of which are in the crown jewels. Um, so it's got good provenance in the in the name. And they why did they choose that name? Because it's a... Yeah, I think it's because it was sort of it was a rough thing that was sort of taken out of the ground and sort of, sort of polished up, and that in a, like essentially is what is what this is. It is a, a diamond in the rough, as you say. Yeah, it's interesting though that whole market with SUVs. Everyone seems to be doing an SUV now. So you know, yeah, Bentley last year, you know, Range Rover, obvious, and now you've got Lotus bringing out an SUV, Lamborghini, Lamborghini, Lamborghini Urus, yeah, 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 which is. Yeah. And you wonder if they're ever going to see more than the. The roads of Knightsbridge, really. Most of them probably aren't probably designed not. for off-road. I mean, who would want to sort of take... I mean, it's all right taking it a quarter of a million pound car sort of off-road if it's not yours. But if if I yeah. put down the money for that, I'm not sure if I'd be taking it sort of up the side of a mountain. No, probably not. It's good to know that it can do it, just in Absolutely, case. Absolutely, yeah. Always. Uh, the other thing that we've got um, up at the front of the magazine is our annual drink awards, which, Johnny, you mm. kind of headed up, uh, which doesn't sound like too... Arduous a task, but um, you'd be surprised. Really? <laughs> um. <laughs> so, what are what are the kind of standouts? So, we, we, we've got new categories this year. We didn't do a tequila last year, I don't think. No, we didn't do a. Did we do, I don't think we did a brandy last year either. And it, it, it was really nice actually. It was a really good opportunity to sort of look back at various things that we've experienced this year, and it really came from standout spirits that we'd maybe had it events or at sort of gentlemen's journal dinners and we we just sort of curated this list of things that we thought you should definitely have in your drinks cabinet almost sort of a, a capsule cabinet that, mm. that you sh that every gentleman should have and um so we had things like them um, the gray goose which was our, our winner for vodka 
Um, that obviously featured when we were uh, on our road to Cannes earlier this year, which was in which featured an issue. And then we've got we've got things like Royal Salute, which we've we've sort of we've worked with a little bit this year, and we've um, we've really learned the history of the brand. And I think getting sort of an insight into what makes a brand and the story behind it sort of elevates everything in it. Sort of, you, you, you talk to people and you obviously have tasting notes and it, it's and it's really good. And I mean, then there's the things that are sort of the new new brands that are coming out that sort of they weren't even there last year when we were when we were looking. So our winner in the tequila category this year, Enemigo, mm-hmm. um, is obviously a new brand, uh, Roku Gin, which is a, a Japanese gin created by the um, the people who make Suntory. Um, this drink, this drinks market just seems to be getting crazy. There seems to be new vodkas and gins coming out all the time. Are you are you getting new press releases? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're sort of we're drowning in in press releases for sort of spirits, but it's it, I think that makes it even more special when you see something that stands out. So, for instance, Japanese gin would catch your eye if if somebody yeah. if somebody said that, and and then you're always skeptical. You think is this sort of a novelty for novelty's sake? So I know that I mean. Obviously, not naming any names, but I've seen I've seen vodkas and out there, especially that I the the, the they just put weird flavors in for the seemingly the sake of it. Um, but the Japanese gin was was really nice, and Great Goose actually have just brought out um, La Vanille, which is a vanilla mm. sort of flavored one, which um, just brilliant in sort of espresso martinis and things. Yeah, and it's, I think you've already taken that home from the office, haven't you? I, I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment on that. But um, and the, what's going on with tequila? Everyone's saying that you should now drink tequila straight on the sh- rocks. Yeah, on the it's rocks, like a whiskey. Yeah, it's apparently really good. It also, someone told me I don't know this is a myth, <laughs> but apparently it's really good for not giving you a hangover. They say that about everything. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've it's, never drank. Maybe you're drinking too much of it. That could be that, true. That, that could be. Right. That could be right. I think it's the. Um, the George Clooney effect, isn't it, with tequila and yeah. Randy Gerber? They they came take up a with, sip and you look like them. Is that? I mean, that that'd be the dream, wouldn't it? But it's I think everybody's. It's definitely the sort of the the, the fastest emerging market. The new balls of tequila are cropping up every week. Yeah. So another place we we went um, was Venice in this issue. None of us, sadly, were lucky enough to go, but. Um, it's yeah. quite a, quite an amazing shoot, and what, why did we decide to do this? How this was your brainchild almost, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't actually. It was it was it was Ollie two... Cheshire's brainchild. Oh right, yeah, fine. Um, That's better. But obviously, um, he's one of you know one of the top male models in the world. Um, he's been desperate to sort of get a bit behind the camera as well as in front of the camera, so he actually styled this himself, which I'm not going to lie, I was a bit nervous about uh, <laughs> waiting to see these uh, images c- coming back, but. Um, you know, it's the time of year, November, December, everyone's doing the black tie evening wear. Um, he's taken out some great brands, like really great British heritage brands, the likes of New and Ningwood and um, Geese and Hawks and Turnbull and Asa and Ellen Willis, um, and, and shot them in, in, in Venice um, in an amazing way. I think the results are like, you know, I think it's one of the best best fashion shoots mm. I think the magazines have had. Um, and, you know, there's a, an amazing shot with him with a, with a pigeon. Um, which I believe to get the shot, he was actually um, holding on to some pigeon feed, yeah, and basically had a load of pigeons, you know, flapping around him. <laughs> which the, the lengths you go to for a good photograph. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's you know, it's just come out in an amazing way, and I think everyone's really, really happy with it. And it's, it's not an easy time for uh, Savile Row tailors, is it? There's a lot of kind of uncertainty on the horizon about that. What do you think the outlook is for for British brands like New Lingwood or Chester Barry? 
I think it's obviously like a tough time in retail altogether. Um, uh, but I, th- you know, I sort of maybe I'm being naive, but I sort of think if they carry on doing what they do, um, I think one thing that's coming now is we as consumers are really starting to see through the high street brands for what they are, and I think fast fashion is, you know, hopefully mm. going to start going to start moving out. I mean. It's a price thing, of course, when it comes to these things. They are sometimes ridiculously, you know, it's expensive. But there are some great brands, you know, and, and you know, the likes of New and Lingwood is actually not that much above a high street. Um, and, you know, it's great product. So I think, you know, that I, I think if they, you know, carry on doing what they're doing and making great products and using Craftsman, um, I think it's now the generation where you might go and buy a shirt from, say, a high street. Then why not go and spend a bit more money on a on a, on a blazer? So I think, mm. yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. And what are the the kind of golden rules of black tie? I know you you went to Hackett and got fitted in I your did, own yeah. to measure, which I is mean, quite lucky. I heard, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> um, I yeah, I've learned quite a lot about black tie. I also learned the other day that you should never wear a watch with black tie. Really? And I don't know because the whole idea of black tie is you're meant to be uniform and everyone's meant to be sort of. I don't know, the same rank as it were. Yeah. And then a watch is basically something, you know, that might suddenly be a very expensive okay. watch. You should. I don't know if that's true. I was told that. So, I mean, that might be... Was that from a reliable that, source? Or? That might be. It was over dinner. It could be fake news. But, okay. um, <laughs> um, no, but, um, yeah, I think black tie is also really evolving in an amazing way at the moment. There's some amazing, you know, sort of velvet black ties coming out. It's amazing print. I mean, you've got all the Italians, fashion brands really mm. going crazy for all the silk stuff. Um, so, actually, it's becoming anything but uniform. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you really don't like though when people... I think, you know, I used to hate black tie, but I think if you have a good black tie, it's it's like a suit of armour, you know, and you wear it out and I think everyone feels, lifts everyone's confidence. It does. People walk differently in tuxes. They look look smarter. Mm, But what are the faux pas? What are the awful... Do you not like white blazers? Some people have a real problem with that. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, thin lapels. Yeah, that's always... It's not a good one. Thin lapels. It just looks like... I was, about to, I was about to name a high street brand, but I, I won't. <laughs> They've already got enough trouble as it is. But, um, 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 but no, I, you know, I think they're thin, thin lapels, um, you know, tight trousers. I mean, that that is just that ended. It's not a good look. Uh, that ended ages ago, and, mm. and it, you still see it. Um, For some that, of us, we've got no. And now you got. Then. I saw someone wearing like velvet slippers the other day, with no socks with the tuts. And I get the whole no socks things occasionally in the summer, but you know, wearing it with a wearing it with a DJ is not. Not yeah, good. it's quite Italian maybe, but not in the I right way. I think it's Italian. I think it's the wrong sort of Italian. Um, no, I just think you've got to keep it classic. I mean, you know, Jeremy Hackett being like a, you know, an amazing person, at, you know, giving us style advice. But you, with with things like that, you can't go wrong if you just keep it completely and utterly classic. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned not wearing a watch with black tie. Because obviously we've got a, an annual Great watch. Great segue there. I mean, I'm there trying my go. best well for these, done. but we're jumping around. Well but done. The, the, um, there are some watches here that wouldn't look bad with, with a black, a black tie. tie. I know. But there are also some ones that that would look great anywhere. Yeah. Why? Do, what? How you are the watchman at Gentleman's I'm not Journal. the watchman. I'm. You know, I'm actually not a watchman. I I basically like watches. Mm. I I believe that you should buy a watch because you like the look of it. Um, I think some people in our world get really stuck into this movements and, mm. and you know stuff like that. But I think it's important if you are spending thousands of pounds on a watch and it is you know might be an investment. Um, I think it's you know really important to have it in your house movement and stuff like that. But these watches you know we ch- we chose because I just think it's again going back to keeping it classic. All these watches really from 
Panerai to Breguet, um, they're all their sort of really, their classical styles that have, mm. you know, that aren't going to go out of fashion. And that's very much what I think we will try to do with the magazine is making sure that, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not trend, trend driven. Um, and all these watches, whether it's, you know, Amiga or Breguet or Tudor, um, these watches, I think are going to still look as good on your wrist in 40 years time as they will do today. I hope so. Can you, can you, you probably won't be allowed to do this, but can you... You're about to ask me about to pick my favourite. Well, I was going to say, which one do you think you'd... Yeah, no, what's your favourite? No, I, uh, I'm very political answer coming back at you. I think they're all very good in different situations. So, I mean, I mean, to be honest, like, you look at the Breguet um, um, classic, I mean, it can go with anything. It's one of the, the world's oldest watch brands. I think then you go to the weekend watch, you've got the yeah. Tudor there, you know, just to wear it the weekend. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, different, different watches, different things. You've got a blanc pan in case you need to go diving, um, <laughs> which is, it's good to know that you can go 300 down meters. 300, 300 meters. Amazing. So just in case you are going to go down to 300 meters, it's good to know. Um, but no, they're all, they've all been picked because of, yeah, I think yeah. they're timeless in style. One of the things that's often kind of leveled at these watch brands, certainly the luxury end, is that you can tell the time just as well on your smartphone these days. In fact, probably better. But um, why should a man, do you think, wear a watch over a smartphone? I think it's, um, I think it's just something. I mean, the quite a, like a common thread that goes through some of the watches that we have in here, from sort of the the Vacheron to the Tudor, is that they've brought, they've taken inspiration from the archives of their own sort of like. Their, their past designs and I think it's just quite a nice sort of heritage thing I mean as you say people get a smartphone out of their pocket and look at that but then there's something almost I don't know there's that heritage feel to having a watch it's it's old tech but I think it's something that as you say will never go out of fashion especially if it has these sort of callbacks to sort of things that people like valued in the past yeah I'll add to that in the fact that women can you know they have jewelry they have everything and mm. this is this you know really with men it's cufflinks and a watch that's all we have to mm. sort of put our personality thing on them um and you know they are they are amazing things you know like you're gonna have it for your whole of your life you're probably gonna pass it down to your son um and you know each brand represents something that says something about that man so um you know they yeah they're amazing things and it's it's a, it's a way of accessorizing and putting a personality yeah. into something we spoke to George Kern, who's the Breitling CEO, about that. And I think one of the questions CEOs of watch brands are asked more than any other when I'm at these kind of press conferences is, are you worried about smart technology? And he's actually got quite a good answer in this where he says, I don't think in 200 years' time anyone's going to be talking about an Apple smartwatch, but they will still be talking about certain luxury watches. Yeah. But he's, I think the interesting about George Kern is he's kind of come in and he's aware of Breitling's amazing heritage and aeronautical roots, but he's kind of very happy to move it into a modern world and also modern markets. He's got this whole um, this whole campaign that uses kind of Chinese celebrities mm. who none of us would be aware of, yeah. but who are huge over there, in fact, bigger than yeah. any of our celebrities over there. What, what, what do you think is so impressive about George Kern? Harry? Well, I think he, he's sort of the Richard Branson of the watch world. I yeah. mean, as many of you know, he, he, he's just, he came to Brighton you know, fairly recently. Um, and he came from IWC, which he really made into this amazing global brand. He understood the power of celebrity, um, and you know, everyone. You know, he was very much the the leader at Richemont, really, in terms of on the watch side. And he's come into Breitling at a time where it's been family owned for 
for, for many, many decades. Um, and it's been bought now by a, a, a private equity company and, and it's really exciting what's happening to it because he's come in with all this knowledge and he's very much become come in as a partner. Um, and, you know, Breitling for me is they've got the, the you know, the iconic uh, Navitimer and these amazing watches. But I think what's really good is he's really going back into the archive mm -hmm. and going, OK, what does Breitling mean? But not only talking about the aviation side, he's now going into you know, cars and, and land, and he's, you know, he's got Kelly Slater as an ambassador on the surfing, you know. Yeah. Very few watch brands have ever gone really into the surfing uh, side of it. So, and then he's also brought out recently the Premier line, which is it's much more reserved, much more elegant. So he's sort of, you know, maybe using some of his IWC days, you know, and he's really, he's making a much more, um, you know, sort of classier brand. Mm. I think it was always great, but it's, he's really, I think bring it up in this um, feel and look. Yeah, and the Premier Collection I think's just come out, but I didn't realise that that was kind of in the 30s and 40s. That was the watch that a lot of kind of the high society people in Paris, in London, and New York. That was the watch they wore. They wore these very classic Premiers, which you think they might just be Rolexes or, or other brands, and that's not something you think about with Breitling. It's quite surprising. Yeah, I think the 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 you know, the other side of that is there was so much about Breitling, you know, until recently that I just didn't know about. And mm. it's almost like it's almost like they got maybe a bit comfortable and they were just selling their selling their watches and stuff. And now they've you know, they've actually had some pretty famous people who have yeah. who have who have worn their watches and Rolex and, you know, brands like that are incredibly good of of saying who has worn their watches. But I you know, until recently Breitling really had kept that all quiet. Um and tended to really go about their current ambassadors and everything. And now, you know, George is going back into that and saying, actually, you know, we were the first to do this, we were the first to do that, mm. and giving the brand, you know, real kudos. Yeah. Another person who's just released um, a kind of special watch collection is Ralph Lauren, who for the 50th anniversary, and he speaks you about You are it really good at these, uh, well, like, leading you know, on. I've so done you know, amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, so Ralph, if I can call him Ralph, I'm sure I can't. <laughs> Mr. Lauren, excuse me, um, has just uh, released a new collection of polo bear themed watches. And the polo bears are his kind of iconic teddy bears, I guess, that are dressed in some of his favourite outfits. But it's unusual. You don't associate Ralph Lauren with watches. And yet this is how he's chosen really to celebrate 50 years. Why do you think that is, Harry? I mean, I sort of, I think you associate Ralph Lauren with pretty much everything. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's, he's a genius. Um, and you know he 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 really is a dreamer in the in the best sense of the word. He he's had the most amazing career. And Ralph Lauren, you know, in terms of creating stories and stuff, you know, is amazing. Watches, you know, I'm not personally a fan of the on the polar bear watches. Yeah. They're not for me. But you know, he's he he understands his consumer and where that's where you know where that's going. And you know, he's just recently 50th year 50th anniversary year for our friend. You know, and they just partnered up with Palace Streetwear. So yeah, that's crazy. I mean it's 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 amazing again, a bit like Branson at his age, he's keeping it completely you know relevant. Yeah. I think the thing about Ralph Lauren is that almost anybody can wear it. It doesn't feel like it's too exclusive and yet he's got this incredible aspirational, very American but also kind of very British feel about it. I think that's right. I think it's I mean the polo bear watches are obviously they're very striking and that's something that you can sort of see that running through all of his clothes. He obviously had the, the sort of the fiftieth fiftieth anniversary event, um, where all those sort of pictures came out in, yeah. in New York of, of 
loads of these people from around the world who he's obviously he's had this influence on wearing his his clothes. But then, as you say, the palace streetwear and it's that's that couldn't be further away. And it's he crazy. sort of yeah. expands the entire sort of spectrum of style. And he's there at sort of every point along that. Yeah, I don't think there's been an, a fashion anniversary that's been more talked about than this one. Fifty years mm. of Ralph Lauren, incredible. He's a yeah, a true entrepreneur and a great hero of the Gentleman's Journal. We were also fortunate enough to visit Louis Roederer, which is one of the final independent champagne houses in the region. And it's something, a place with an incredible story. And actually, you and me, Harry, just before the summer, we went to the unveiling of their new 2008 vintage, which is, they call it the most cristal of all the cristal vintages. And it, I mean, I like champagne, but that was special. Yeah. Um, why did we want to celebrate it in this issue? Um, well, I think... You know, it's independent. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these champagne houses now are, you know, owned by one or two big conglomerates. Um, it's got an amazing history, and it is, you know, the the, the actual history behind Cristal and the bottle and stuff. You know, it's got a flat bottom um, because, you know, the the I've forgotten Napoleon was it Napoleon. It was. Oh, it was. Come on, quickly, quickly, testing. Tsar um, Alexander. Yeah, II. it was Tsar Alexander. So no, okay, nearly, <laughs> nearly. <laughs> but yeah, they, he was worried about being assassinated. Um, so they made it flat and they made it see-through. So um, you know they couldn't hide grenades in it and stuff like that. Mm. And then it was wrapped up. So it's th that's the history that's come from. Um, it's 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 drunk by the most sort of successful people globally it's very very expensive um but it is amazing mm. like the effort that goes into making this stuff it isn't you know it's a passion project and i think john baptiste um yeah. um the chef de carve uh you know he is an amazing you know man he he, he can really just go around the vats when it's been made and 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 taste it and tell how long that needs or you know or do, you know should they mm. should they start should they take it to the next process um and you know when you do taste it, and you came to the tasting, you know there's there's champagne, and then there's this amazing like sort of velvety uh, taster, and it really is very 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 special. And that's quite hard. You can tell that you can, you know, with red wine, you can really find out the depth and structure into it. But with a champagne, you know, unless you've tasted a really really good one, it's a mm. complete. You know, it's actually amazing. It really yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I think it's on top of that. I think it's a very uh, class, you know, I think the house is, is a very, and even their brute as well, I think it's a very classy brand. Yeah. And the, the thing that struck me about Jean Baptiste at that tasting is that he obviously knows everything about champagne, but he's incredibly unpretentious and just passionate, and it's just you know, very approachable, which I don't think a lot of brands actually. Well, uh, a lot of people from wine are quite, probably, yeah. quite pretentious, aren't they? But I think it's because they want to elevate themselves above it and make it yeah. not accessible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's an incredible place, and Greg Funnell did some great, amazing shots there. I think that's one of the best things about it. I think, and and obviously Richard's words as as well, alongside is everyone knows what a bottle of champagne looks like, but when you see sort of the, the pictures of sort of all the bottles in sort of their racks, yeah, lined up, and there's that gold light sort of on them. I think it's shame the guys in the podcast can't I, well, see they the images. They have to subscribe. Is, it. Is what, <laughs> um, so there we go. I got. I thought you were going to do that. Were you not? There we can. I mean, yeah. if if anyone is interested in subscribing, yeah. we <laughs> have a new Clubhouse subscription package, which is sixty pounds a year. And for that, not only do you get all the issues of the magazine annually, but you also get special membership card. Special membership card, a black card, which is which gives you um, which gives you twenty percent off for all the, the, the all the brands that we really rate and love. So yeah. there we go. So done. Very easy plug and good, good. completely natural. Well so please sign up.
one of the things we've done across 2018 is kind of dig under the skin of these very, very successful businesses who are beyond the startup stage. So we looked at Tesla early in the year, we looked at Dyson last year. Uh, but this time we decided to look at Bista Village and Value Retail, the company behind it, uh, which, although it doesn't seem to have the, quite the headline appeal of a Tesla, is in fact one of the most remarkable British businesses out there. And Harry, you know, you, you know a lot about the business. and. Yeah, I'm, I think it is, it's an amazing, it's, there's a lot of doom and gloom in retail at the moment, and this is uh, so very, very successful, and it's the vision of a guy called Scott Malkin, and Valley Retail, I think, Johnny, how many villages have they got now? There's it's over 30, a dozen in, yeah. in, in Europe alone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there's a quote here, you know, last year that Bista generated an average 3,295 per square foot, more than double that of Harrods, mm-hmm. uh, 1,450 over the same period. So this is a, this is a, this is a great story of a, a guy that saw some land outside Bista yeah. and said, I'm going to build this amazing retail village. And I think I went there recently until... I used to think it was a shopping outlet. Mm. And then, you know, I went there now and they've got a Soho farmhouse cafe. They've got, you know, the Wolseley, you know, one of the Mm. greatest. um, And that's the first Corbin and King restaurant outside outside of London. London. Yeah, so it's one of the greatest, you know, the Wolseley is one of the most greatest restaurants, uh, you know, in London. And, you know, so this is now becoming a real lifestyle that people can go there and and spend the whole day there. Um, And, you know, you go up on the train and on the the tannoy it speaks Chinese because... Uh, it's it's becoming a serious tourist attraction. So you know it's the second most visited place after Buckingham Palace now, in the UK. So it's crazy. Um, it's yeah, and you can get every brand there. I'm I'm you know you can't you, obviously like pretty much every brand is mm. there and at sort of forty percent discount. So what's not to like? The final part of the magazine, right at the back in our society section, which is my favourite bit of the magazine. Um, Mine too. Thank you, Harry. Thank you. Um, possibly because it's got my table for two in it, which is an excuse for me to go out to a nice restaurant or cafe with someone I really would like to hang out with. So this time it was Ben Elliott, uh, who's obviously the founder of Quintessentially, but more than that, he's kind of the most connected man in London and uses that influence, I suppose, to to further all these charitable aims. So the big thing for him is the Felix Project at the moment, which is um, set up by Justin Byam Shaw to use food that's going to waste from restaurants and really pretty good restaurants and directed to the people that need it. But uh, Ben's uh, one of those kind of intriguing figures mm. in that he's kind of, um, he's got these this raw connection, but he's also not of the establishment at all. He's completely kind of down to earth, normal guy. And in fact, it's interesting we spoke about watches because his most prized possession, he told me, was his grandfather's old Rolex, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's an incredibly enjoyable way to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, he, he, he really is. Like, he is one of London's most connected businessmen. Yeah. And um, I think that there's quite a funny part in the article where he speaks to Matt A, the, the, matri- the waiter yeah. who comes over and, you know, he starts speaking to him about, you know, his Hungarian president and politics, which is just typical Ben. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, yeah, a total gentleman and, and gives the time of day to lots of people and, and knows everyone. You know, he is a, a connector in the best sort of yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, as you say, he's kind of completely curious about everyone and everything. And I was trying to kind of keep him on a path and talk about business success and entrepreneurship, but he was he was talking about absolutely everything else. Probably more interested than you. Though, he was. <laughs> he was really, really grilling me. But straight away, he was asking me about my kind of existential fears and my goals in life and what I wanted to do. But I think that cuts through when you've got someone like that in a business meeting or a business scenario. 
it's just far more interesting and compelling than yeah. than the usual small talk. So that's a, a yeah, that was a lovely way to spend an hour and a great way to close out the magazine. But uh, that's our final issue of the year, the November December Done. issue, two thousand eighteen, ended. Yeah, but I I, I mentioned while I've got you guys here, we never really hang out. But it'd be nice <laughs> to um, it'd be nice to know what your your favourite bits of two thousand eighteen are, and and. Of course, if you feel like you're missing out and you're listening to this, you can buy all of our back issues yeah. on the Gentleman's Standard one. website. Do buy every single one. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's a great read. Uh, Harry, what's been your favourite moment uh, of 2018? 2018's definitely been like a vintage year. Um, and I like to point out that I've been the editor for all of 2018. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything to do with that. Um, sure no, you've done okay. You've done okay. Um, um, <laughs> no, it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, we. I think what we've done really successfully this year across the whole business is we've taken the print to life. You know, and I think that's what's been really, really fun. Whether it's been a, a, a cover shoot that we've done, we managed to you know film quite a lot of our cover shoots. Mm -hmm. We obviously. Um, introduced this vastly successful podcast yes. channel. Well done, Joe <laughs> Bormore. Um, but no, and apart from that, you know, there was the the, the summer issue, which was a particular highlight for me, where, where we we did the road to Cannes mm. um, for the Cannes Film Festival, and um, the balmy idea of taking um, a group of male models and free Rolls Royces from Bordeaux to Cannes, uh, and then to document it in the magazine was pretty mad but it, you know it just turned out so well and then we got down there and we did our cover cover interview with um james norton um and it was just you know it's great to be able to you know have literally a quarter of the magazine and and actually be able to do it you know mm -hmm. and, and and live it and i think i also really you know i'm really proud of you know what, what you guys have done in terms of uh, the mixture of covers you know we've gone literally from samuel jackson david candy ASAP Rocky, James Norton, mm. and now to and now to Hugh Jackman. You know that's a really great mix, which for me, having like founded this brand, really sums up what we're about. And and it's about finding. You know, I've always wanted this to be the entrepreneurial, you know, men's magazine. And a lot of these guys, you know, I didn't even, you know, even Hugh Jackman's got coffee business, and you know, ASAP Rocky's got his own agency that's doing really, really well. You know, so I mean, it's finding the unknown and, and what people might not, yeah, mm. might not see. That's been really fun. Johnny, what about you? I mean, obviously, Hugh Jackman was, was fantastic. This is somebody you've, who I've seen sort of singing and dancing and X-Menning, uh, like, on screens for like since I was, like, young. But I think, um, and following on from what Harry said, the sort of the juxtaposition between sort of different covers and different things was in the ASAP Rocky issue, last issue, I think having ASAP Rocky on, on the cover as the cover interview, and then we had this uh, wine and fine dining yeah. section at the back. And I just think there's nobody else who could do that sort of, yeah. that, that jump and... Polar opposites. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And, um, and, uh, the, and the wine and fine dining section itself, I mean, we had a piece on natural wines in there by Jack Napier and mm. Anna Galbraith interviewed the, um, the, sort of the founder of Whispering Angel. Amazing, that, that story was cool. And, it's, and there was just so much in there that mm. I think was really interesting. And you got to eat lots of truffles I as got well. to eat... Yeah, which lots of truffles, which, um, <laughs> which I wasn't going to mention, yeah. but um, very yeah. No, the, I, I mean it was it was just such a such a good issue, and the Chelsea pensioners, of course, were in that yeah. issue as well. I Crazy, mean, it was, but it all sort of came together, and I think well, that's what sort of well done, editor Joe Vormo. Well, yeah. thanks what very was much. Your, what was your favourite? What's your? I favorite thought you wouldn't ask. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I well, meeting Samuel Jackson was was incredible, and that was my first proper cover interview. So. 
Um, no, he wasn't. David Gandhi before that. Okay, I'll answer that again. Uh -huh. Me meeting Samuel Jackson was was amazing because he is obviously a huge icon, and I was very very nervous before doing that. But actually, within seconds of meeting him, you're completely at ease. So that was that was lovely. But I think the most memorable was definitely um, meeting. ASAP Rockin. Before that, I put a copy of the magazine down in his dressing room before he got there, um, thinking that he might like to read it. But when I got down, I found that he'd um, used the front cover for uh, a roach paper. Yeah, a roach paper. <laughs> I, mean, no, I, I don't know the terminology, but that but it was a big. It was folded in half, and there was a line of green, um, uh, green organic matter down mm. the middle of it. But but he was um, incredibly interesting, completely different. His mind works like nobody else, and he knows how to party. So it was one hell of a shoot. Yeah. But it's been a good year. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the worlds of entrepreneurs, raconteurs and tastemakers. But in the meantime, you can read more at thegentlemansjournal.com or follow us on Instagram if you're so inclined, at the Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.